0: Everybody and thanks for joining us for yet another edition of the Richard Listens show. Uh, I appreciate you joining us during our quarantine editions, and please check me out on my Patreon page, Patreon.com/RichardListens, or via Instagram at Richard Listens or Facebook at Richard Listens. You get the theme. That's the way you stay tuned on blogs and our guests, and get to ask questions and find out a lot more. Today we will be going into uh, the field of ultra running, a topic which is fascinated, fascinating to me and fascinating to many of my guests. Uh, my guest today, Mr. Kirby Ingalls, is an author, he's a career coach, and also an ultra runner with a cause to give back to veterans. So, without further ado, I'll be welcoming on Mr. Kirby Ingalls. I mean, there's so many areas I'd like to begin with. I mean, you do so much. You're an author. You're a coach. Uh, I believe you host your own podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how did you get started in in ultra running? And you ultra run it's it's for a cause, or you know you you seem yeah. to be raising money for veterans. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's what I, st- I started doing about two years ago. Um, I started ultra running actually initially um, because I hurt my back, um, and people are like what that aren't you not supposed to run after you hurt your back? And I was like, nah, I, uh, what I figured out was I had to learn the hard way. So I, a couple years in the army, um, well, not a couple years, but probably 2005, I was doing some mixed martial arts in the army and got Thank injured you for my your neck. service. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And I injured my neck and I was like, okay, fine. You know, and I started having more pain in my shoulder and more pain in my shoulder. And the doc was like ice cold. Here's some ibuprofen, you know, that went on for like two years. Um, we tried a bunch of different stuff and it didn't work. And so after a 15 month deployment, and then I went to airborne school on top of that. So I'm jumping out of airplanes. Um, Um, That's kind of body. (laughs) Yeah. I was, I was doing all kinds of stuff, you know, with his bad shoulder. And I was like, my shoulder's all messed up. I don't know what's going on with it. And we did an MRI two years later. Like, Oh, we're going to do an MRI. And uh, nothing was wrong with my shoulder. And he's like, I'm going to try one more thing. I'm going to take an x-ray of your neck. He's like, "Eh, the spacing's not like it should be. So let's do an MRI on your neck. Oh, well, you just got, you know, some arthritis in your back. You know, that's what they told me. And so they're like, go to physical therapy. So physical therapy went around for a while. That didn't work out well. Um, and then I got a couple of injections in my back to deal with the pain. Cause it started getting bad. Um, mm-hmm. It started shooting down my shoulder into my fingers and stuff. A couple of injections, I jumped off the table and I'm like, I feel like a new man. Um, a couple years later, I started going through divorce and I started to run again, you know, and I started like, you know, trying to just of clear my head, you know, and find some space and timing. Um, and I, I started enjoying it, you know, and I was always a great runner in the army, but I ran track a couple of years in high school or not high school, but junior high. And I just never thought much of running, you know, I was like, why do people like to run? And I never, you know, I was good at it, but why would you want to do that? You know? And, uh, but after a while, you know, I was just like, yeah, there's something to this. And I was like, you know, if, and I talked to a surgeon he's like, Oh, you got to slow down. You got to stop everything you're doing, you know? Um, you need and to ultra run running
0: a, just for my yeah. listeners ultra running is done at a slightly slower pace to go further distance. Is that correct? Oh Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. It's hundred percent. You're right. Um, but this surgeon, you know, he was like, uh, stop everything. You know, you're going to, you're going to be in a wheelchair by your 70." And I was like, you know what? Forget it. If I'm going to be in a wheelchair by the time, I'm 70. I'm just going to clear my bucket list today. And so I went out, I found, I was looking for a 5k race cause I wanted to run a marathon. I'm like, well, I got to build up to a marathon. And, uh, I found a 10k race and I ran it and I finished third in my age group, and I'm like, wait a minute, and so I ran a 5k the following weekend, and I was like, oh, wow, third in my age group again, there's something to this, so I entered a series called Mid-American Racing Association in Kansas City, and I actually won first place in my age group that year, so it's a NASCAR style racing circuit, and so I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, and then, so what's next, right, so, and I'm starting to feel better, my back's not hurting as bad, you know, I'm actually doing well, and, uh, it was trail running. And I was like, okay. And I did my research and trail running is supposed to be really good for your joints, your back, your ankles, you know, cause you're not you're running on a concrete, concrete, you're running on a can not running on a canned road. And you're actually flowing through the trails, you know, moving left and right. So it's actually a good exercise for you. And, uh, it's slower and it's softer. And that's what was the big deal. So I was like, ah, what's this ultra running thing? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like 30 miles. and I'm like, wow. My first race was a 40-miler so a 30-miler. <laughs> so I just keep going bigger, right? You know, I've never ran a half marathon or ultra no, – I'm sorry. I haven't never ran a marathon. So my first race was a 40-miler. Then I did a 30-miler. And then I did a 50-miler uh, in my first year. Uh, wow. I, I mean, I did it. you
0: run – did you train with others? I mean, a lot of yeah. – how about the military? You run in a pack. You – you know, you, my father was always, you know, repeating, you know, your left, you left, you know, all the different chants, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, running by yourself is, is a lonely, lonely journey. Um, did you, was it, was it purely a solo mission? Um, did you find groups of runners? What you know,
1: it, yeah. So what motivated me was, is that divorce, right? I needed to clear my head and I started to do that. And once I got my head clear, I found a, the trail running community has a strong network and supportive group. And I can go out there and initially it was just three of us meeting up every Thursday night running. And we would run in like two feet of snow. I mean, we would blaze through trails. So we were, we were, we were, we were going after it. Um, and we all had stuff going on. Right. So we just got to like, let it out, you know, in that two hours, and then we all come back and have a couple of beers, you know, and just relax and, you know, hang out with each other. And it was just a group of guys. And then the group grew from three or four to eight and then 12. And then it just kept growing like that. And it's just a huge community. It's up in Kansas city. It's called the trail nerds and they still do it every Thursday night. Um, And I'm actually running a virtual race because of COVID-19. And everything. I saw that. Yeah. Explain to us how
0: that's going to work.
1: Yeah. So basically I report what my watch says, the data on my watch and it gets uploaded to an app called Strava. And uh, so they check it for verification, but I load the data up through Strava and actually just run what I'm supposed to run. So since everything is canceled, they call it the Tour de Everything Canceled after the Tour de France. So, And it's it's a Tour de France style running uh, uh, circuit. And so uh, I think the first day I had to run like six miles on the trails. Um, the second day I had to do, uh, 11 miles in a mountain stage and I had to do at least 1200 feet of elevation and actually did around 3000. Um, and then, uh, uh, today it was an easy day. So I had to do two miles on the flat road surface. So, um, so every day is a new challenge. And so it's the hills, the, the flats and the mountain stages. And so we just go through this for 21 days, uh, and we'll run about 152 miles. And so each race, or not each race that I do, but each week or you know, every big day, like the 11 or 12s, and there's actually a marathon in there, I will uh, dedicate that race to memorialize a veteran who lost their life to suicide or PTSD. Um, and then in that process, uh, people can go ahead and uh, go to my Facebook page, find that link, and uh, they can donate to a cause called 22 Too Many. And uh, that's what they do. That's the whole purpose behind uh, their mission is to bring awareness to veteran PTSD. And the thing that I love about it the most is that, you know, I went through my own dark time um, in the military. Yeah, Yeah, so it it affected me personally. So I had a cousin that committed suicide that I was close to. um, And, uh, you know, that was tragic enough. And then in the military, I've probably known over 20 people people that have taken their lives that I've known helped or been a part of their lives at some point, you know, worked with or something. It's it's tragic. It really is. Um, They all serve in uh, the Gulf or uh, um, Iran, Iraq or uh, Iran, Iraq. um, There were a few that never deployed at all. You know, it was, they had things going on in their lives and they just, it was, they were just a very depressive state and they felt like that was the only way out. Um, well, my own, you know, after I came back from my 15 month deployment, we uh, were in a place called the triangle of death and, uh, it was not a pretty place. Um, the Marines had been there and there, and the national guard had been there. The 101st airborne had been in there. Um, it was just the wild west of ISIS and, uh, it was a bad place. And, uh, unfortunately we were very successful there, but it cost a lot of lives. And, uh, so I was trying to process a lot of that stuff afterwards, you know, um, and I was going through a lot anyway, my personal life, I had this shoulder injury. So physically, mentally, emotionally, I mean, everything was just, you know, spiritually all screwed up. And, uh, and so I had my own moment and I pulled myself out of it. I mean, I remember times where I was driving down the road and I just was like, you know what, I'm just going to veer off the road and hit that telephone pole. I just never had the courage to do it. Um, so, but the thing yeah, with so the you know you've many. walked it, yeah, yeah you've walked yeah. It. so
0: what so what created this i mean you when you've been through it, you obviously have a an empathetic sense for what a soldier mm-hmm. goes through um yeah what but what motivated you to then create this, where you give back uh and and how does twenty two yeah uh, is it twenty two too that, many yep twenty two yeah, too I mean, many yeah. how uh, how does it how does it reach veterans?
1: Yeah, so what it does is, uh, well, first of all, I'll explain why I did it. So a couple of years ago, um, I, be, you know, because I've been running for so long, and I've had periods where I've had to take a break. And um, a few years ago, a friend of mine got me back into it because um, I was in D.C. for four years. and Well, there's not a lot of trails in D.C., and I hated running in the city. Um, just stop and go traffic. It was just, I hated it. I love the atmosphere cause of the, the patriotism, the, the monuments and all that, but it was just really hard to just, you know, get, get out into nature, it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had a four year sabbatical from r- ultra running and trail running and I got back and a friend of mine got me back into it and I was like, okay, I need, I need a reason to get back into this. You know, I've already done everything that I've wanted to do. I need something to push me, right? Because I want to run that 100 miler, um, which I haven't done yet. I was supposed to last year, but I got hurt. But
0: it's like is I need the Barkley
1: Marathon, the only 100 miler, or there? No, 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 no. There's a, a lot more out there, um, but that's the famous one. I really famous <laughs> one. But uh, but yeah, I just needed something to push me. So I'm like, okay, well, what can I do? Like, I need to do. You know, at first I was doing like Team RWB, which you know, Veterans Outreach and Community, and then I ran across the 22 Too Many. And the thing that really helped me, right. And the really thing that really resonated with me is they actually give back to the families. So the the families are struck really hard in the wake of a tragedy like that, you know, when a veteran takes their life. And the challenge with that is, is that, you know, their military comes in there, supports them. And there's this this liaison there for a year or two, as long as they need them. Right. They get them through the, the process of, you know, getting the remains and, all their personal effects and all the benefits that they're entitled to. And then after a year or two, there's what's left, you know, they're not part of that community anymore. And then, you know, the service member is gone. So the thing I like about it the most is that it helps the families fill a void. Like, you know, us veterans are out here and we still remember their son and daughters who gave their life of service to our country and it's not lost. And it meant something to us. And so they're not lost. And we remember them. So what I do is I take the racing bib, I take the racing medal, and the picture that I carry with me on that day, and I take their story with me. So I tell the story while I'm running to all the people that are, you know, that ask, you know, hey, thank and they'll say, Hey, thank you for running for so-and-so, because they'll see their picture on my back or you know, on my leg or something. And then I'll they'll say, Hey, can you tell me about them? How did they die? You know, and I tell them the story. So I'm raising awareness at the same time I'm running, but also, um, I take all that stuff and I send it to the organization and they box it up and put it like a little plaque and give it to the family. So the family has got this memento that their child has been memorialized, memorialized and their legacy continues to live on. Um, and so uh, I'm kind of getting the chills right now talking about it. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just my father it's, it's was, a, my yeah. father was a, a Korean War
0: veteran. We lost him last year mm-hmm. and it just, it's already time, I Yeah, see, Yeah. I mean, he was, you know, God bless him. He, he he went out celebrating and eating birthday cake with no pain this last week. So and not in not in any wartime. So I think that's what how he would have chosen. But you know, um, my family members were there, all who've uh, served and continue to serve, and and uh, they came out. I was really surprised that the army came out and did the salute for him, and I could see what it meant to my mother. Uh, and, and you know, this is not suicide but i can see that the power of being handed the flag Uh and somebody was kind enough to go and get uh the case to hold the flag by the time Uh we reached the house so Uh that means so much to her uh you know having something you know and having lost close friends to suicide and and knowing what their families go through and the grief and loss Uh the fact that you are creating a lot of what you know, we need to heal, that you're creating ritual, that you're creating, you said you carry the story forward. Mm -hmm. And that's really the power of legacy, the power of a life, you know, that that impacted others. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what, you know, every parent wants for their child is that their sacrifice um, was was meaningful in some way. So that's so beautiful. Um, Thank you yeah because i know the parents probably go through a lot of uh yeah you know the helplessness that they they couldn't control what what was seen or what was experienced yeah. in time of duty
1: yeah, and sometimes it's a shock and it's just you know something that happens you know and everybody's like well wait a minute what just happened and then after the fact you see all the signs but you don't recognize them when they're in front of you i mean we just don't know and sometimes you know um there there really aren't any signs and you know, and sometimes people are laying there, you know, afterwards and they're like, they don't even know why, you know, there's, you, you lost it. They can't come back and tell you why they did it. You know, they don't leave a letter. They don't, you know, and it's just like, how do you, how do you pick your life back up after that? And so I think this organization does a really great job of that. You know, they're, they're like you said, you're, it's one foot in front of the other, you're carrying the legacy forward, you know, you're memorializing them and it's a great way to wear, raise awareness. I mean, of what's going on and, i tell you, I mean, those trails, they help me get through a lot of stuff. So, <laughs> you know, if it wasn't for those trails, you know, sometimes running with friends is great, but sometimes you're just getting out there running in solitude. I come back from a run and I just have a greater appreciation for the world. I mean, cause I can get my head clear. I can think about things and I can, you know, process things a little bit better. And well,
0: what's more mindful, right? Than the breath <laughs> and nature. Uh, and literally you're carving your space through nature. Um, that's just, it's just amazing. You've discovered this. So, so, uh,
1: are you planning on a hundred miler or would you ever apply for the Barkley marathons? What's well, I will probably, I know I have friends or I have a friend or an acquaintance that actually has done the Barkley two or three times. Um, I'm not planning on it. Um, I, I don't. I would like to live my life till I'm in my old age. <laughs> yeah. for, um, for, for
0: my listeners who haven't seen the
1: Netflix documentary on the Barkley
0: Marathons, yeah. it's a hundred miles. I think it's in the West Virginia mountains. Yeah. And uh,
1: I don't. I don't know. I guess there's only been a certain amount of people who have completed yeah. the course. It's worked out. I follow one guy on the app Strava and uh, he was the guy the year that uh, and that's probably the documentary talking about where he actually had done everything he needed to do but came back in the wrong direction because you have to switch directions right and they, they try to trick you right during that race and so you're three days four days later you're still trying to navigate your way through the woods you may have gotten maybe an hour of sleep during the whole course, you're in the rain and the mud and the cold. And you're just like, you're out of your wits, right? You got to collect these pages to this book. And the guy done everything he needed to do, but he came from the wrong direction. And he barely taught, you know, he made it by like 30 seconds and it didn't count because he came from the wrong direction. oh yeah they make all so, these
0: crazy rules huh? <laughs> yeah
1: so it's it's a really interesting um, documentary and uh, I just you have to be on another level to be able to do that um, and just to attempt it really and survive a day um, uh, my hat goes off to of those guys so but I'll just try it 100 somewhere um, I've got a yeah. few in mind but uh, it takes some support and I have a good group of guys that are behind me are going to support me so Um, when that day comes, I got to heal up a little bit of back injury that I've been suffering through a little bit. But um, just to be out there and
0: physically be
1: so spent, you have to know you have a medical team, nutrition. uh, I think guys have their wits about them, understand the course, know you as a person. Because there's days where I've seen guys out on the ultra marathons and stuff, and they're like, you're like, I want to quit. They're like, no, no, you're not quitting. Here listen to this podcast and they made like a, like a special playlist just for you because they know the type of music you like. And so it gets you going again, right. For another 10 more miles. So they, there's tricks to keep you going, you know, so you succeed and that's their job is to help you get there without actually forcing you to do something really wow. bad to yourself. The whole specific yeah.
0: coaching business you can, yeah. you can focus on.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. It really is. I don't know if I want to want to coach it, but uh, <laughs> it's a lot of hours, a lot of hours, a lot of training. So. Will, you help, will you help people train for a regular marathon or have? Oh yeah. I mean, I've done that before and I've helped people out. There's a, I, I learned a technique uh, while I was in the army called pose running technique. And it's uh, a, new, a natural way of running and uh, it actually helps people and eliminates a lot of injuries. And so I, I don't mind teaching that. It's, it's a really interesting technique and uh, it's a, uh, it. uh it's, it's, it's pretty useful. Um, it's helped me improve. Actually I've seen soldiers like who are failing their physical fitness test improve their, uh, two mile runtime by about four minutes. Oh, so, wow. yeah. And so we were able to help them meet past the standards and continue on and get through their service. So, um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there like that that can help people out. So, um, so how about, uh, the, this, the
0: treatment for PTSD for vets in general, are you, are you noticing, more services being provided or more awareness uh, what's you know what's happening in the
1: trends in that area you know the things that i've seen um i don't chase down the therapies too much but i have noticed that there's a lot of alternative therapies being offered now um and the veterans affairs getting really great about approving a lot of those alternative therapies therapies that aren't really offered on when you're on active duty in the military service. And so you want throw more therapies um, afterwards. The one that's interesting that I'm kind of curious about is the, uh, 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 I think it's called like cryo chamber therapy. It's that same thing that the divers go in when they get, when they come up too fast. If you know what I'm talking about, you know, divers who dive in the water and they come up at, out of the water too fast and they yes. get the, uh, uh, what's it called? The, um, where they the equilibrium yeah some kind of just yeah that that equilibrium and uh i can't i can't remember what the term is called there's like a slang term for it
0: hyperbaric chamber is that it or yeah that's a
1: hyperbaric chamber um the bins i think oh yeah they get the bins that's what it is yeah and then so they put them in a hyperbaric chamber and they're saying that the hyperbaric chamber can help treat ptsd so um I don't know. I'm learning a little bit more about it. I heard about it um, a couple months ago, so I haven't done a lot of research, but mm-hmm. I, I've heard other people talk about it as well. And so that seems to be a new trend out there. So, yeah, so if it works, had, it works.
0: Yeah, I added uh, you know, EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing in my practice. Um, and I was pretty amazed at, at the research I saw at last year's conference because it um, involves bilateral stimulation for <laughs> where it's a complicated word for basically saying that while someone is discussing something very upsetting that it gets them into their body and kind of has your, it kind of tricks your brain. So from either eye movements or through tapping uh, it gets the body away from the same story uh, and, and allows that you to recreate a different ending. Uh, you know how you may have wanted things to go, to go differently or what you needed to go differently so that your body can at least process that emotion out. So um, I found that to be helpful. But it sounds like before they even get to the therapy, uh, just the stigma to reach out for help or the willingness to ask for help. I mean, what do you think the barrier is for a lot of, a lot of young soldiers?
1: Uh, you know, that, that's the hard thing. Um, I didn't really reach out either. And you just don't want to feel like you're weak, you know. Um, yeah, you need help you know, and people look down upon you. And even when I tried, wanted to get my divorce, I was like, man, this is embarrassing. You know, um, it's, it's, it's really, that's what it is. You know, and we have the to get over of being a soldier and tough yeah. and having it together, you know, even, even being a man, you know, and it's like, you know, my mother got divorced three times when I was growing up and I'm like, God, I don't want to go through this again. You know, I don't want to follow my parents' footsteps. You know, I said, I promised myself I wouldn't do this and I have to, now. you know, it's like, you don't want to go through that, you know? And, and for me, I, you know, for me, the healing part was, just talking about it later on. You know, I mean, I pulled myself out of it, but at some point in time, you know, I kind of got through life and I had to make some significant changes in my life, but I was lucky to have that awareness. Uh, and to have certain things that happened to me, uh, one of the things was I read a book called um, Super Better by uh, Jane McDonaghal And uh, she talked about post-traumatic stress growth. And I was like, ooh, that's interesting. And uh, I was, as soon as I read it, I was like, become stronger than you were before. And I was like, that sounds really cool. Let me try this. Right, you know, so I did, take you know. a look at the stigma and the shame behind yeah. it.
0: Looking at it as periods of conflict and, and mm-hmm. pain can be what makes you who yeah. you are.
1: Yeah. And I'm a big fan of it now. I mean, and I really, I spend a lot of time even in my coaching practice, you know, when people are going through challenges or really tough times, I'm like, look, it's like, you can converge out of this stronger than what you entered into it. I was like, but you have to believe at first, you know, you have to believe that you're going to come out on the other end better, you know, or there's a possibility, you know, if you don't have any hope, then, it's it's going to be pretty bad, <laughs> so right. you have to find that glimmer of hope. You know that's something that you know you can push through, push for, um, and uh, I think a lot of that too. Uh, I spent some time in um, the the tri-state area of DC, you know Maryland, Virginia, and DC. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that I learned while I was there was I uh, I started doing high school uh, officiating high school baseball. Um, and I started out missing baseball world. right now, Kirby. I know, it's I know. Right now. <laughs> but I started out in the lower levels, you know, and I didn't want to play baseball anymore, you know, um, especially Men's League Baseball because it's about who you know and which, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's not really about talent and, you know, statistics and stuff like that. But um, it's more about buddies. But, you know, and I just didn't really want to get into the politics of playing baseball with a bunch of guys. So um, I love the sport. So I was like, let me officiate, let me try this out because I can make some extra income with this too. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm if I'm good enough, you know, and maybe I can get up there, maybe into college ball or something like that. And uh, sure. the first year I did it, I I ended up getting a rookie of the year. And people ask me like, what what was it that made you you know rookie of the year um, that year uh, for the Mid Atlantic Umpires? And uh, I basically told them I was like it's visualization. Uh, I would you know go out there just like a ball player would, right? you know, or any other professional athlete, and I would go out there and I'd just sit in my car. I'd get to the game about 45 minutes early, put on my, you know, shin pads and chest protector and get ready. And I would just sit there, you know, in my lazy chair behind my car with the trunk open or my, or my um, you know, whatever that camping chair is. And uh, I would just put in some headphones, listen to some music, and I would visualize myself calling the perfect game. And games went well for me, you know, like calling the calls, having strong, you know, um, arm and hand signals, you know, running up the first baseline, you know, on a bunt, you know, doing those types of things, you know, doing the rotations and stuff that umpires do. I just, I, you know, I just kept visualizing over and over and over what the perfect game looked like for me to call. And that's, that's what powerful. Got me to that point. Yeah. That's powerful so,
0: using mental skills for all levels of performance and, yeah. you know, players really feel contained, at any level when, you know, the umpire referee is in control of themselves mm-hmm. and giving maximum effort, <laughs> right? Hesitation <laughs> yeah, I, I,
1: hesitation breeds anxiety. Yeah, that yeah, was funny because uh, a lot of times when I was doing high school ball, I was working harder than the kids were, right? You know, and because I'm moving on every single play. They're only moving when they're up to bat or when they're out in the field and the ball gets hit to them you know or they have to rotate or something but i was like hustling all day long and people looked at me like golly man like and i wasn't an old man so i was the one dragging behind so they couldn't holler at me for not hustling and so that would help me a lot with the coaches and the players because they, they wouldn't want to mess with me because they saw me hustling all the time and so that's another part of the thing is you have to look and play the part you have to look sharp and you have to act sharp and you have to stand tall and you have to call strong calls and you can't hesitate. You must be decisive. And that goes into a lot of my coaching. So umpiring uh, high school baseball really taught me a lot about, you know, how you present yourself, how to be a professional and and moving forward, so I, sometimes I get into some chats with people online because you know you have the armchair of baseball fan, uh-huh. and they'll sit there and make comments about umpires. I'm like, you have no idea what goes into this. You know, they are probably better than the athlete because only one percent of people actually probably umpire, and they're only ten percent of people probably actually play pro ball. So I'm um, you're talking about these guys are better athletes than the athletes on the field, and they know the game better than they do. So. Because most people don't know baseball rules. They know what they learned when they were growing up, but that's not high school or pro rules. So um, I see people, they don't, the knowledge of the game isn't there. It's just the backyard rules that they understand. So
0: It seems like everyone these days is trying new workout systems. Some people go to the gym, others may run, but I've recently discovered a great in-home method that is absolutely amazing. I'm taking in jitsu classes online where I'm being trained and pushed in real time by top MMA fighters straight from the octagon. Injitsu.com provides real time classes so you can get a top notch workout from the comfort of your own home. These classes are absolutely going to sell out. So head over to slash Richard Listens to get your first class for free. That's I N J I T S U com Richard Listens. Protecting your child's teeth is important in any sport. That's why Impact Dental Designs has put so much thought into their state-of-the-art mouth guards, protecting athletes in youth sports, all the way up to advanced MMA fighters and champions. And the best part is you can customize your own design for your own creative and fun mouth guard. So head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash Richard Listens And if you purchase now, you get a free customized design and 20% off your order. I mean, how do you prepare for, you know, your own emotional regulation that, you know, everyone is going to target their frustration your way, you know, because,
1: you know, right. How do you handle that so that you're not losing your cool? It's tough. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very aware of my personality. Um, and I remember a situation in the game where I actually had to take control. And I actually was very, very patient. And I let my partner endure a lot of heckling from a coach until it got to a point where I thought across the line. I mean, he was beating him up pretty good. And, you know, and my partner deserved it because I could tell he messed a couple things up from my position. And uh, I was closer than the coach. Um, so if the coach saw it and I saw it, I mean, but I wasn't going to throw my partner under the bus because you don't do that as an umpire but there was got to a point where I thought he crossed the line of dignity and respect. And that's when I had to raise my voice. And I just looked at the coach and I said, that's enough. And, then I, and I told him, I was like one more outburst and you're gone. And that was it. And you just have to learn. So that's another thing that comes in the army and coaching and a lot of other things that you get taught or you understand is minimum effort possible to get the maximum effort you know, desired. And uh, that's all it really took. And he was quiet the rest of the game. I could see he's frustrated. And I could see him dance around <laughs> in the dugout. But he wasn't throwing – he wasn't name-calling my partner anymore. He left him alone. And He came up to me and he made a few comments after the game about my partner. And I said, I said, Coach, I'll handle it. I'm the lead umpire. I got it. I was like – he's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, don't worry about it. I'll handle it. And so that was the end of it. Um, and I called my 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 arbiter, you know, and I called him up on the phone. I said, "Hey, this is what happened, you know, blah blah blah," and he's like, "Okay," he's like, "If I get a call, the coach never called." I so just is that
0: is that the process? You review each game and go over any. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I review it in the car and, you know, I talk to my partner about what he did right. And he tells me what he think I did right and wrong. You know, we do a, what we call an after action review, you know, what, what, well, what didn't go well, what can you do better next time, what we can do to sustain our success. And uh, so you do those reviews. And uh, that's helps a lot with emotional intelligence as well, because in the heat of the game, you react, right. You know, and you're emotional um, and kids get emotional too, because you know, they're always safe. <laughs> right. <laughs> or the or the other kid's always out. So right. somebody's gotta lose, right? There's it's it's you know, not everybody's gonna win in this game. And uh, so you fairness and justice does have to come into play and you have to do the best job you can. And it's it's heated. It gets really heated. That's really it. Parents. People are
0: working out, especially developmentally, they're working out their own fairness and yeah. justice. But yeah. they're also working out trying to please their parents and yeah. Uh, parents are not aware where their need for their child to win is coming from or what it's trying to cover up in their own lives. Um, there's a great book out there. I think uh, uh, youth sports, um, I'll have to get the title for you, but uh, something like youth sports are killing me or something mm-hmm. like
1: that. Yeah. Uh, I've seen some bad stuff in youth sports. I've, seen, I've gone back to my car, you know, to get ready for the next game or change or whatever and, I've seen parents out there just dogging 14-year-olds, just 12-year-olds, and just telling them, like, you're the leaders on this team, and you suck, you know, and you do better. And I just want to walk over there and just smack them in the face and say, what are you doing to your child? You know, they're yeah. emotionally being developed right now, and the stuff that you're saying to them is not doing any good. And those kids played their heart out that day. And you know what? That's all that matters. They gave 100% effort. And that's what, all they, they really they want.
0: That's all they really want <laughs> as a psychologist and sports psychologist. They really want the attention – and they're getting attention, but it's it's negative attention, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, you need to do more. You need to do better. You need to do better. And that's
1: motivating to a point. <laughs> you know,
0: it's not going to motivate you to love something intrinsically yeah. because you just – Well, it's
1: going to make them hate the game that they love so much and a game that teaches them leadership and skills and, you know, things in life. I'm, yeah, I, I can still... tell you about – ultimate yeah. Ultra running and baseball has taught me a lot about life. If you just sit back and look at it and be like, you know what? That's interesting. That, you know, that's, that's a life application right there. You know, yeah. sports um, teachers, I still just, talk.
0: I still talk to a lot of my basketball teammates and there was like uh, one coach who was, We had the most fun team. The head coach like was so calm and jovial that like the assistant coach kind of ran the team, but we loved them both. They worked well together and our whole team was like a family. Mm -hmm. And then you have teams where I thought the coach was, you know, angry, hated everybody was trying to create infighting in the team and the team grossly uh, underperformed. And I look back and I'm like, still
1: to this day, like what happened? Yeah. Yeah. I had a similar experience like you were explaining a while ago when I was on my high school wrestling team. We were a family. We loved each other. I mean, we got after it in the practice room. And we said things and did things to each other that you know we wouldn't do in front of anybody else. But that was our coach. He's like, What happens in this practice room? Stays in this practice room. You will kill each other. You know, but when you walk out, you'll be a team and you'll be united and he actually gave me an opportunity cause I wasn't going to join the wrestling team. I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. And I had some interest in it when I was a kid, a younger kid. Um, and when I was in junior high, um, and, uh, I had a, a tragic event that happened to me then was the, the kid that was helping me out. Um, uh, his sister's boyfriend ended up murdering him and his sister and killed himself, you know, and. And I was—I had no idea. I showed up to practice with this kid one night, you know, my PE coach. They had this place called The Escape, and it was a youth center for kids. And up there, they had a couple wrestling mats. You know, and I went up to talk to the the, the PE coach, and I was getting ready to wrestle with the guy. And we had been doing bone wrestling in PE in junior high, and that's how I got interested in it. And he was like, yeah, he's not coming. I was Uh, like, what's going on? And he told me what happened. I was like, oh, my gosh, happened last night. And they're like, yeah. And so it was a big deal in a small community. But um oh, How old were you yeah, there? I was uh, like 12, 14 years old. So I was in junior high. I was like seventh grade. So, um, and uh, so I've just lost interest in wrestling, you know. And I'm, and then when I was a sophomore, I think in high school, a guy by the name of Dave Harris um, came up to me and he was like, "Hey, you ever thought about wrestling?" And I was like, "Man, you know, I had long hair at the time, you know, and I was starting <laughs> to be a rebel, you know. I was like, I'm not interested in sports anymore, and uh, I, you know, I want to go, you know, mess around with the the, the kids that are on you know, the rebels and stuff and uh, do things that I'm not supposed to be doing. And, uh, you know, hide in the bathroom and smoke cigarettes and do stuff <laughs> like that. But And he's like, I ah, just join the wrestling team. You know, let's check it out. You know, if you don't like it after a few days, just quit. No, who cares? Right. You know, just try it. See what you like. And I got in there and my, my my stepdad was really encouraging me to participate at the time. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll go do it. And I did it. And, um, I just think the endorphins from the workout just probably, heck, you know, brought me into it. Um, and a physical challenge, you know, it's a physical chess match, you know, it's, it's a human chess match. And, yeah. Uh, constantly. Right. You can be losing, you can be yeah. losing, you can be losing, yeah. you can be constantly looking for a grip. or an yeah. you know, angle. Yeah. You know, so it's, you've got to think two or three or four moves ahead all the time. You're like, okay, this can happen. So I'm going to do this, this, or this, or this could happen, you know, so you're constantly thinking ahead strategy wise, but uh, that coach, um, he was like a father to me, um, a father that I really didn't have at the time. Cause my step parents didn't really get involved. And in I don't know who my biological father was. So, um, so he was like a male figure in my life that was really, really, um, resonated with me, uh, gave me an opportunity when I wouldn't have taken it and showed me a sport that I fell in love with, um, and taught me, uh, a serious work ethic, um, and gave me praise when I earned it. And, Got in my butt when I didn't earn it, you know, and I didn't do what I was supposed to do um, and held me accountable. Now you're highlighting, you know, the power of, uh, you know, positive coaching. And
0: Mm -hmm. I read a lot of stuff from the Positive Coaching Alliance. I mean, the impact that a coach can have or a Mm -hmm. parent can have Mm -hmm. if they they understand their role in supporting athletic development uh, is so tremendous. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, sports gives, right, like you said, not only orphans, confidence, belongingness, family. Yeah. Uh, And part of the healthy aspects of story and legacy that if done correctly, you know, can influence a life. Did you ever have any thoughts of ever taking the umpiring uh, to the, to the big leagues? I did.
1: So I ended up uh, earning a scholarship, but I happened to be moving from DC that year. And so I turned the scholarship down. Uh, I just told him, I'm like, there's just no way I can go to Florida. And it was a, 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 umpiring camp a professional umpiring camp that taught the three-man clinic uh three-man clinic is just three umpires on the field at one time so there's different rotations and things you have to learn um and then the, obviously if you're doing three-man it's probably collegiate ball anyway or high school playoff baseball um two-man is just high school baseball um or you know uh, kids little leagues and stuff like that but uh, and then you get up to you know whatever the MLB is you know they have five man and then they have like eight or nine man whenever the playoffs are going because they got people in the outfield <laughs> so uh, so they don't miss anything but uh but yeah you know college ball is a three man um for the most part, so I had that opportunity to go to college ball I mean I could have went to the clinic, which would have opened up the door if you don't go to the clinics. And the doors don't open so you've got to get into the clinic and you've got to do the training so I showed up to everything and I I knew like and that's the thing about mentoring that I don't think a lot of people know like when we were getting evaluated and I was going to these camps they would go to on the field you'd, play, you'd be in a game and then they would put a couple umpires on and the rest of us would sit in the bleachers and watch well I wouldn't watch I went down by the evaluators who were already collegiate umpires and I would listen to them and they would ask me questions about what was going on in the game and I would tell them and they say, well check this out watch this and then I would lock so they were actually seeing the plays happening before they were really happening and watching the movements and stuff and I was picking up inside information from them and so I was learning by just you know listening and asking questions and they were asking me questions and there was this feedback loop That was going on. And so while everybody else was sitting in the stands, just joking and elbowing each other and laughing about somebody messing up, I was down there listening and and learning the game and and the art of officiating really is what it was. And uh, they would ask me like, what's this guy doing wrong? And I would have to look at him and I was evaluating him that point but they were the ones who were the real evaluators
0: that's an important sports psychology yeah. evaluation to not mm-hmm. you mentioned the vicarious learning you know watching mm-hmm. videotape or watching yeah. uh, games or other people performing that are at your level or slightly mm-hmm. above your mm-hmm. level is a really good tool uh, and, and uh, you also mentioned feedback right and evaluation yeah. anybody should be if you're helping a coach uh, or, or somebody get better at something there has to be some criteria for saying you know where do I want to get better at? Or what am I missing? Uh, So that's wonderful that you had that experience.
1: Yeah. So I would just do that. I would, I mean, I would go to every pitching session, you know, to call balls and strikes and work on my, 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 my ability to track the ball, you know, to get the calls, right. I went to every camp that I could get my hands on. I went to every instructional thing. I went to every meeting. I went to every webinar they offered. And so I just met dedicated myself and committed myself to like, that's what you have to do for success. You have to do what everybody else is not willing to do. And so I was willing to scratch out the time, sacrifice a little bit of TV. You know, I can, I can watch, you know, um, the game on rerun tonight, you know, and I would sit in front of the game and I would watch the umpires. And so when I went to baseball games, I would actually stop watching the game and I would watch the umpires go because it's more fascinating for me now to watch the umpires at work and learn the art and craft of that and see these, you know, these these, these uh, major league umpires like uh, Chris Siegel, you know, operate on the field. And Chris Siegel is like one of the youngest professional umpires that have probably been in the game. And he's been amazing. And he was one of my mentors when I was in D.C. And, uh, you know, he was very young and came up from the game. And he was like almost like destined to do that. Like he really was mentored by a lot of great umpires coming up through that, that, that uh, collegiate uh, association. And they saw in him the talent and the ability, and they molded him to be that. That so when you get a solid group of people around you, which is really good, you know, especially in sports and stuff like that, and they can yeah. help you grow and promote you, and you know, and and pull you on the ear whenever you're screwing up and you're not doing things right because he's done some things that he shouldn't have done, you know. Well, he's a healthy, some yeah. a healthy
0: tribe would do that, yeah. right? The a yeah. healthy tribe, uh, when you start to leave the flock, starts mm-hmm. to uh, steer you back in. Yeah. Uh, there'll be a chapter in uh, crossing the threshold. My book coming out this year, mm-hmm. that'll be on uh, your village. Uh, you know, I didn't think it would be appropriate to talk about athletic <laughs> development without who's in yeah. your, you know, who's in your tribe or your community. Uh, who's helped to shape you. Do you have
1: mentors? Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, who could you access that maybe you aren't? Mm-hmm. And you don't have to necessarily have a physical mentor. Like I've learned even in the industry, you know, the coaching industry, I can have mentors from a distance. Like they don't even have to know they're my mentor. I can watch them and study them. And one of the things that Brian Tracy, Jack Canfield, a lot of these guys in the coaching world will tell you is that find out who the top five people in your industry are. What do they do that nobody else is doing? What books are they reading? What webinars are they attending? What podcasts do they listen to? What, you know, conferences do they go to Mm -hmm. find out what they do? And you do that because that's the path to success. It's not a secret. They all do the same thing. Speaking of which, which (laughs) podcast do you listen to, Kirby? Um, Well, I listen to quite a few. Um, I listen to a military veteran dad, um, and that's about bringing every dad home and being president at home with their families, you know, after going to war and all these things. But uh, um, that's one of them. Uh, And Ben Colway is a podcaster, and he's a good friend of mine as well. Um, I also listen to Capitalism.com, which is Ryan Moran. Um, It's more of a how to do business in an e-commerce world. Um, but I think there's a lot of great, um, information as far as, you know, business goes as far as that. Um, and, uh, I also listened to Garrett white who's, uh, the daily fire. He uh, created the warrior book. Um, and he has a huge tribe of men that are following him and he's teaching businessmen, um, basically how to be raw and real in their own lives and get their marriages on track. And also, be successful in business and yeah you know the four, what he calls the four core uh, body mind spirit soul. um so uh so there's a lot of stuff out there like that that i listen to on a regular basis um there's probably about a dozen podcasts on my phone that uh, uh, but i listen to uh, uh quite a few so those are the three that are off the top of my head
0: yeah i've made it a, a habit of listening to tim ferris uh, because of his interview mm-hmm. style and uh, his lack of uh, fear and reaching out to guests that he really is curious about, and uh, Michael Gervais, uh, who has uh, finding mastery, uh, who's worked with the Seattle Seahawks, uh, really mm-hmm. enjoy his the model and how he set things up. Um, you know, uh, Kirby, in our time remaining, tell me you're a coach or an author. Tell us mm-hmm. about your book. How people can uh, contact you and work with you.
1: Yeah. So, um, I'm a leadership coach. I work with uh businessmen and a few purpose driven women uh, or mission driven women. Um, and so I do work with both genders, not just, I just try to focus mostly on men. Um, that's where my wheelhouse is. And, uh, uh, but yeah, you know, I help them build, grow and create a generational path to success. So what that really is is that it's creating that ripple effect that not only resonates through their families, their business, or, or their or company they work in, but, uh, you know, for generations to come, you know, uh, for the next two or three generations, whether it be their family, the business or whatever. Uh, what I found a lot in America is, is that there's very few, uh, four century or four generation businesses, um, usually last two or three generations. And a lot of the reason is because the founders, uh, created a vision and a way ahead. And after two or three generations, we've lost the, um, passion for that vision. And so I want to help create that vision and that's embedded in values and strengths, you know, which gets back to, you know, a little bit of psychology, knowing your strengths, you know, understanding your character strengths and, you know, your values and, um, a few other things, but build that strong foundation so that vision can last. And it does resonate with the next two or three generations. So you can do all that at, uh, Um, now I do have a special report out right now. Um, and so your, your fans or listeners can go check that out. Um, and that's the same thing as curbanglescom uh, forward slash uh, leadership dash coach. Uh, and you can get that. It's a free download. Um, and it's about sure, leadership. Uh, we yeah, it's about show notes. Yeah. Yeah. It's about leadership, masculinity and Christian men and using a strength based approach. And I make the argument. I'm using a lot of peer reviewed research and even research that's come out of the Naval and West Point Academy. Um, so we're looking at, you know, high caliber, uh, Americans, you know, and, and what they've done. Cause you know, if anybody knows anything about the military, only 10% of the nation is qualified for military service, but only 1% actually choose to serve. And so it's a very minute, uh, very powerful group of people. And, uh, so I thought that was uh pretty extraordinary. That's, that's so remarkable that for my, Of
0: those 1%, how many do you think have a sense of spirit or faith that helps them in their
1: resiliency? You know, it would be hard-pressed to put a number on it. Um, I've known a lot of chaplains during my time. Um, I don't think it's as prevalent as it used to be. Uh, I think that our – I want to say – spirituality is probably still there but religion um which is a discipline more or less not a not a belief it's a mm-hmm. discipline i want to make sure i'm right on that um but it it just it hasn't it's not there anymore and i think that says a lot about our society is sometimes i think we lack a little bit of discipline so um and that's a little bit of what my coaching issues is that self-discipline you know teaching that and I think it, when you have that discipline, um, amazing things can happen. And that's what sports is about, is discipline. And that's how you become successful, is practice, practice, practice. So,
0: That's right. You can start from the, the bottom up. You can start with your practice and your habits. And then the belief comes. Uh, so if you don't believe in anything, if you don't know what's bigger than you, you're right. you start acting that way. You know What is it they say? 40 days to create a new habit.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, B.J. Fogg has come out with some really great stuff. He's the Stanford professor that came out with uh, Tony Habits. And then uh, I think it's James Clear came out with Atomic Habits. So a lot of it is the same research. Um, Charles Duhigg, The the Science of Creating Habits. So if you just look at those three books, uh, I don't think you need to learn anything else. You just need to start doing. I mean, it's just really – and I think that's the hardest part is none of us want to get out of our comfort zones. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell people, you know, what, you know, what I find – in my coaching practice, the way I find it is, is that, uh, or the realization is if the pain is not bad enough, you're just not going to do it. And it's not until the pain is bad enough that they want to change. So there has to be some kind of pain associated with it or else or consequence, you know, um, so, right. So it's usually people say, well, I'm, I'm in debt, like a hundred thousand dollars. And I don't know how to get myself out of it. Now, I now you want to do something about it. <laughs> you should have done something right. about it when you're $50,000. <laughs> but
0: Like you said, right. It's like the pain of staying the same is worse yeah. than the pain of taking the action. Yeah.
1: So yeah, that's, that's, and that's, that's a lot of it. Um, and that's what I see a lot. You know, when people do come and say, Hey, I need your help. It's usually that they're in a lot of pain and uh, they need help, you know, finding a place to start and having an intentional direction moving forward. So,
0: yeah. So, so do you find that having the books out there and the
1: special report gives you a way to reach people before they hit that pain point? I think so. I think it, it, it plants seeds is really is what it does. Um, it brings, it sparks curiosity. And if they follow their curiosity, um, as a coach, that's one of my character strengths. Um, it shows up, and that's why uh, um, I probably love to coach, and I love to do a lot of different sports and stuff. Is because I'm curious. Um, I even played old time baseball for a couple years, um, where you didn't wear a glove and you know you, the fat handled bats, and you know you <laughs> wore the. So I did the reenactment stuff for a few years, um, for about two years, the Civil War era baseball. Wow. Um,
0: so awesome. yeah,
1: but yeah, it's curiosity, right? So if you follow your, I always tell people to follow your curiosity because. Um, I think, I don't know, this is just a personal perspective of mine, is like, I think too many of our young people try to decide what they want to do when they're 16, 15, 12, 18 years old, and they go into college and they spend two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollars $250,000 at Stanford or some MBA or something like that, and they rack up amount, tons of amount of debt and they get out and they're like, I can't find a job. I don't like to do this. I don't want to do this. You know, my mom made me become a lawyer or my dad wanted me to be a doctor, you know, and I just don't care about this. I think people should go out and explore the world and try different things up until about they're 27 years old and then decide what they want to do. Now, if you want to go to college in between then that's fine, but I'm not saying take a little bit longer to do it. Don't just go four years and I I, I don't think we need to do that anymore. I think we just, there's too much life to live. Well, life expectancy is so long now. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't need to go do that. What you need to do is you need to go out and explore, find purpose and meaning in your life and then start to pursue those passions. And I guarantee your passion, the profits of your life will follow your passion because I think passion is a leader. And I know a lot of people say, don't follow your passion. It's bad for business, but I don't believe that I'm the complete opposite. I think if you find your passion and you're good at it and you pursue it, Everything else is going to show up, but you've got to do the work first. You have that's to do it. The, the profits of your life will follow your passion. I think that's my
0: key takeaway for my listeners today. Uh, and well said, you know, that there's no, there's no hurry. I had a friend who was on uh, her show who said that her mother told her if she was 23 and not married with a kid, she was an old maid or something when she was a kid. Like, you know, this is... It's a new era, you know, take the long game, take time to discover your passions. Uh, It just begins at uh, 21, 23 when you're, so, you know. I'm telling you,
1: you don't know how many businessmen I know that are 40 years old that are coming to me going, Kirby, I need to change jobs. Help me, help me do the shift. I want to start my own company now. I hate this, you know, and it happens so many times. And you know what, it's, your life is, you've already done 20 years of work. Now you got to start over and do another twenty to thirty years, you know. And why, you know? So Kirby, maybe leave us with two things: one, how to get a hold of uh, your
0: charity to support <laughs> um, you know, fallen veterans, and mm-hmm. two, any tips for someone who's curious about how to take their first steps in ultra running.
1: Yeah. So the first one is is uh the best way to go and support the. uh, the nonprofit 22 too many in my running and actually just keep up with what I do every day. Cause it's a 21 day stage race. So I give updates every day is go to uh, Kirby Ingalls on Facebook. You'll see my pretty face. Um, there's only one bald headed Kirby Ingalls out there and uh, I'm probably the only Kirby Ingalls really, but uh, you can find me on Facebook there. Um, and then you send me a friend's request. I'll approve it. But, uh, and then you'll get to see the charity stuff. But uh and then after that, uh, so a tip to get into ro- ultra running is, is start slow, you know, and that's, that's, that's the key. When people get ready to do an ultra run, we always tell each other, start slow. Because if you go fast out of the gate, you're gonna burn yourself out. And so just start slow, do one mile at a time. Go do two miles at a time. Um, go find a group of people. Because the trail running community cares about people. I've never found a trail running community out of all the races I've gone to in all the communities around the Midwest. And this is just the Midwest. That's what my only experience, um, they've all very receptive and they all welcome all people, all walks of life, all genders. They don't care who you are. If you love trail running, they love you and you'll fit in very well. Um, I don't always get along with all my trail running buddies, but we all share that common goal in life is a trail running. And that's beautiful that's that's that one common denominator that keeps us together that's the nucleus amazing well thank you kirby Ingalls, author coach
0: umpire ultra runner uh, it's a true honor uh you know to have you on the show we hope to collaborate on projects down the road and to support you uh in your work of supporting fallen veterans uh it's a true honor and uh just to summarize, you know, put your passion first and and take the long game. And I appreciate those messages. Thank you. My listeners. Thank you for being here for all my listeners. Thank you again for tuning in. Uh, we hope we continue to bring you new fresh content with exciting, inspirational guests like Kirby Ingalls. Please uh, support him, follow him and check out my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Richard listens. And as always, you can follow me uh, in my blog and, travel guest insights on facebook and richard listens and uh, instagram at richard listens so you get the theme look forward to hearing from you interact with you. If you have questions for kirby feel free to reach out we will get them to him and get his insights back to you take care everybody i'm richard listens and i'm out i'm a big fan of mma sports it's rough and elegant at the same time i think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouthguard that is state-of-the-art. These mouthguards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to ImpactDentalDesigns.com slash RichardListens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouthguard. Lastly, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor in providing remote at home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the session. I've personally taken a few of these classes and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion and with a drenched shirt. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to Injitsu.com slash listens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash RichardListens. Take care, everyone.